Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today, we're joined by our special guest, Eric. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, guys. Good, man. Uh, So where are you from, Eric? Originally Youngstown, Ohio, but I live in Atlanta for the last 10 years. Nice. And uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? Uh, Let's see. I stopped drinking January 1st. I think I found a meeting that day. So, you know, January 1st, 2020, I just, you know, I, I, I woke up in the shower and I'm like, all right, I'll go to a meeting. So I went to a meeting late that night. Nice. All right. So you've been clean for what, 15 months now? Going on yeah. 16 or 16? 15. Ooh. Nice. Well, congratulations, man. And without further ado, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us or take it away. Yeah. I mean, you know, drinking was, you know, alcohol was my, my addiction of choice. So, I mean, going back, I think the first time I got drunk, I was at a party in high school. I was 15. So it was pretty early, you know, to start drinking. And then, you know. Do you remember what your first drink was? Peach schnapps. Ooh, <laughs> that's a okay. good one. That's a good first drink, though. I feel you like at least it wasn't ninety-nine. Yeah, it's right up there with Mike's hard, and like you know, it's a good starter to get you into like you know. That's fair. It's better than ninety-nine bananas. I don't know how I ever did that's that. That's true. That's yeah. true. Hundred percent. All right, so you're at a party in high school drinking peach schnapps. Go. <laughs> yeah, and then like a couple months later, I went to another party and got drunk off of really like girly drinks and then so that kind of started you know where i drank a lot in high school uh i think college came and most people drink a good amount mm-hmm. and i was getting shit faced like every weekend and that's when i got my i got my dui i actually got two arrests back to back and it should have technically been two duis but the guy was he was nice to me and uh he's like if you start your car i got to give you a dui like okay so those were, uh, that was a, like six days apart. And I wasn't going to tell my mom about the first one because they just gave me a disorderly conduct. I'm like, she won't mm-hmm. need to know. She doesn't need to know. Yeah. Well, I had to call her because I had nobody to drive the car from the impound lot. She pulls in, they, you know, they release me under my own recognizance. And she's like, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the car. And as we're walking down the steps, my brother says, hey, do you know I got arrested last week? And I'm like, oh. So I drank a lot in college. And then grad school, you know, I move away to Atlanta. But I drank more then because I was lonely. Grad school Mm -hmm. is different than undergrad because, you know, I moved there. And I didn't really know anybody outside of my uncle and his wife and kids. So, you know, and it's... And in grad school, it's hard to meet people. So you just kind of, you know, cope with alcohol. And yeah, it's a common theme with me that I don't have a physical dependence on alcohol. I never get the shakes. I don't crave a drink. What me and my therapist have come to call it is I had an emotional dependence. So mm. the state of my life dictated a lot of, and my emotions dictated a lot of, my drinking ability because like when things were going great, you know, when I had met my, uh, 
fiance. I was great. It was happy. Uh, you know, I'd have like a beer, mm -hmm. two beers. No more yeah. than that. Sometimes I didn't even finish the beer. It's like, but then when, you know, I got hit by a car in uh, October 5th, 2017. Oof. And, you know, quickly, like my, my ex fiance, it was, did, she didn't know how to handle the situation that well. Mm -hmm. So she kind of just abandoned me, checked out, and you know I was feeling unwanted, unloved, and with the TBI, I was getting more depressed. Mm. I just drank more, and like you know, the the more she kind of pulled away, but didn't really say anything. It was like, and you could buy that with the TBI. The TBI, wow. it was like stepping on the gas pedal, mm. and I was like. I wouldn't drink till she got home from work. And then it was just like, all right, how many do I drink? And then I would hide the bottles underneath the sink or something. But because of the TBI, the short-term memory problems, I would always forget they were there. And when we would clean on weekends, she would find them. So I was like, I just gave up after that. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I mixed it with my Ambien at night because I have difficulty sleeping, just brain injury. But, you know, it got to the point where I was hoping I didn't wake up. I drank it off. I'm like, with this, uh, if I take enough Ambien, maybe I won't wake up because it was, you know, like I said, emotional dependency. I was in a lot of pain and alcohol, it's a friend when you don't got one. So, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, feeling out there on an island, yeah, it definitely got worse. And then, you know, when I took on a job as a consultant and I, I have slow processing speed. I'm bad with deadlines. Like I can't work in a deadline-driven profession anymore. I was an architect, and then I became a consultant. And not only did I have deadlines, but I was traveling everywhere. And then, you know, mm -hmm. because, because I already have a full-blown alcohol problem, like when I'm on the road, you know, if you stay at a home with sweets, happy hour, five to seven, I would sit there and drink, and I would go back with like six beers because I knew I wasn't going to sleep at night because I was on the road. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would purposely book that hotel because I knew I had free drinks. I wouldn't have to go to the gas station to buy alcohol. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So that kind of – and then, it, you know, at that job, it started in October 2019. So right when, you know, the point where everything – kind of collapsed upon itself and imploded that that three month span led up to it where it was just i was under so much pressure anxiety depression you know the weight of it all and then drinking as much as i did it's just kind of it just kind of oh like it was like a vortex into a black hole it just all sucked itself into it and then it just kind of all went off at once mm -hmm. and so then the you know two days before Christmas the ex the you know the ex fiance broke up with me, so I went on an eight day bender because she went to Nashville for a few days to see her family for Christmas. I didn't do anything. You know, I uh, I uh, saw my uncle and his wife and kids, and they're not exactly the most. They're kind of assholes, and. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, instead of kind of, you know, giving me some level of comfort that I just kind of broke up with the one person that I, you know, cared about most, mm -hmm. they they kind of just kind of mocked and ridiculed me and, you know, it just made me want to drink even more. So then I went on an eight-day vendor mm -hmm. and I had a bottle, $500 bottle of champagne that I got from my attorneys, which uh, it, 
in the uh, I was involved with a lawsuit when I got hit. So that they liked me that much that they did that, you know, on the, uh -huh. hol on the holidays. So I'm like, this is going to be the last thing I drink. I didn't share it with anybody. It was the last thing I drank. And when I woke up, I got in the shower and I just laid on the floor like, okay, we'll get sober now. So, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously 2020 was not an easy year for anybody. And you know, mm -hmm. somehow I went through the entire year sober because, you know, with COVID, we all got pretty isolated and I had like no contact with anyone, you know, from February 1st to October 5th, 2020, I didn't even, mm. nobody even gave me a fist bump. It was like, man. So, you know, but even though I was feeling like very lonely and so kind of depressed, it was, it, it was different in a way. So, you know, I did, feel like I had that emotional dependency to get me through it. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's why it wasn't as hard because, you know, lonely is lonely, but abandoned is a different type of feeling, you know, because mm -hmm. you're, you're searching for someone, uh, you know, somebody to stick their hand out, grab my hand, you know, I'll be there for you. Well, nobody was doing that. So yeah. I'll find it. You find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I've managed to be sober ever since. I actually did my first triathlon sober because the nights before races and the day, day and night before races, I would always go to breweries, whatever town I was racing in, mm -hmm. or we'd go to wineries. And, uh, you know, I would do that until I slept. And depending on how much I drank before, I would either be hung over or half in the bag. It, you know, it varied the, depending mm -hmm. on – the activities the day before. So it was, you know, two weeks ago was the first time I raced sober. It was different. So you would do triathlons while like hung over. Yeah. Well, all right. Depending on how cold the water is, once you hop in, if it's, if it's cold enough, you'll forget that your head hurts. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> David, we've talked about this. Like a lot of people get fucked up and play sports yeah like, i i couldn't do it i was so uncoordinated and shitty that it it, it just never worked for me <laughs> you know it's 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 not a great place to start but you know when i was in high school i was a you know a really good swimmer and you mm -hmm. know, i was going out most of the weekends doing high school parties so that's kind of when i got indoctrinated to like waking up feeling like shit getting in the pool and then within 15 minutes you feel better but i mean you that time just gets shorter and shorter and mm -hmm. uh, you just it's almost like state dependent learning except for it's once you're accustomed to it you could you know just do things by repetition mm -hmm. and, hmm. but i mean there there was an Ironman that I did and I was on the bike and I had drank like three bottles of wine the night before because I couldn't sleep. It was my first one and I was nervous. So when I woke up and drove over to transition to set up my bike and go to the race start, I was still drunk. The swim took me an hour to go the 2.4 miles. I was still drunk. I'm like, I'm going to sober up halfway through a five-hour bike ride. So this is going to suck. Yeah. And... Sure enough, that's how long it took. It's like, man, I need a drink. You know, the hair of the dog. Mm -hmm. I before I got out of the run, I'm like, 
that would be really nice if I had one right now. But <laughs> you just get you get used to it. You'd be amazed what you could get used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. But it was different. So mm-hmm. All right. Well, we definitely have some questions for you. Eric, would you like to go first? No, David, you, you can go first, as always. It's it's okay. Just go ahead. You're such a dick. All right. Um, so what was your first meeting like? In And like, what fellowship did you decide to go with when you picked a meeting that day? So I went to, it was an AA meeting down mm-hmm. by, uh, at the Vinix Firehouse. And uh, it was like, three and a half miles and uh it's like okay i'll go there mm-hmm. and you know i am not i'm very open mm-hmm. people ask uh, people ask, i'm comfortable asking or answering anything people ask at least i haven't had said anything where i wouldn't yet but i'll answer pretty much anything and so when i'm in group settings i'll talk Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one guy comes up to me at the end and he's like, I noticed you didn't say you were an alcoholic when you talk. I'm like, this is my first time I was here. I, I don't really know how this works. Yeah. So that was my first experience. I'm like, right. oh. Cool. All right, Eric. All right. So um, I want to, you know, you kind of mentioned something about and I was thinking about this yesterday is that we all kind of have this shared experience with COVID and it's um, it's definitely you're, you're talking about the loneliness and the isolation of not having human contact right for months like six months um, what what do you think just in sorry my dog is going crazy but what do you think the effects are like you said the depression and the loneliness like how have you been able to improve upon that feeling since october like and since this has all started have you been able to kind of get some of that back well first off uh the isolation is a lot like putting they throw you in the hole in prison yeah i've got some more square footage than that but when you're alone you're alone because remember like it was we shut down middle of March. Mm-hmm. I had to, I, you know, in December I had just went through a breakup. I moved out officially February first, so I went with living someone to living with no one. I've got my two cats that I've had for the last thirteen years, but you develop all the same symptoms that you would be throwing the hole. You know, the isolation. It, you know, it leads to self-doubt a little bit, you know, a degree of paranoia and it's, it it causes anxiety. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first part of your question. What was the second half? Just how, you know, now that's like another thing you're talking about, like breaking up and like you've been living with someone and now you're in this place where you're isolated and that causes the anxiety and the depression how are you learning to cope with changing it a little bit? How are you learning to cope with being alone? Right. Cause that is what COVID has kind of forced a lot of us to do. Like the isolation, you know, how are you able to separate 
from letting yourself go down that hole of being like, yeah, no one does like me. Like I am all by myself. Like, how do you defeat that? You know, that's kind of where I started my YouTube channel. Um, and first I started off doing video logs about, you know, brain injury related stuff. Um, it wasn't so much telling my story chronologically. It was taking bits and pieces and, you know, summing it up into some kind of take home lesson with it. You know, there's a point to the story I told and it's not very long. So it's not this, the life story of it, mm-hmm. but I started doing that. And then, you know, because of YouTube, you have to put out content on a regular basis. Well, I couldn't do that with just a video log. So to feed the algorithm, I'm like, all right, I'll start interviewing, you know, triathlon figures, whether you swim, you bike, you run, and people that are somehow related to brain injuries. You know, there was a ringside fight duck. There was a professional boxer. I had, you know, the quarter NFL quarterback, Jim McMahon. So I, I, I did that, and even though that is not my most viewed material, it was what helped get me through – you know, a lot of that pandemic until we kind of, you know, I started running with some people again. And, uh, you know, it gave me social interaction. There was no contact. You know, I'm talking to people that I don't even know. And I'm asking them a bunch of stuff about what they do. And, and I just dig up interesting people. It helped me get through that. And it, it was, you know, it also sucked because in that breakup, I lost a lot of friends. You know, they have, we were all mutual friends. They lived by her. So they kind of picked her side. And, you know, hmm. I lost a whole lot of friends going into COVID. So, like, yeah, that was like, I've never felt more alone than I did for seven months, you know? Yeah. All right. Um, hmm. All right. So your first meeting uh, was in an in-person meeting and did where, where you are, did meetings like get shut down as well? Did you have to move to like virtual meetings? Yeah. Um, that started the middle of February, okay. but that's when I stopped going to um, AA. Okay. Two, two, uh, so two weeks before that, like at the end of January, I had a meeting and I asked, this, you know, uh, maybe it was three weeks. Don't ask me on dates. It's a little fuzzy. <laughs> anyway, you know, the one guy that I connected with, which, you know, by some twist of fate, I actually knew his boyfriend. I had coached swimming with him. So we mm-hmm. were somehow interconnected and we met through alcoholism, right? He was cool. I'm like, Will you be my sponsor? So we start going through the 12 steps, and it took me like, shit, three weeks to get to the first two. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, me and the sponsor, we still met even though COVID was going on. You know, we mm-hmm. did for a while. And I couldn't wrap my head around, I don't remember verbatim what it says. But it's kind of like surrendering yourself to God's will that only mm-hmm. he guides you through this. And I'm not a religious person, mm-hmm. but in my heart and in my head, I don't believe that statement to be true. 
Now mm-hmm. you're gonna have. I'm trying to piece together how I'm gonna say this in my head, and it, good chance it'll come out wrong. You know, like the Tommy Boy joke. Uh, wait, it's got to be your bull. this has that's how it's probably gonna come out. Uh, so, all right. I don't know if this is true of all drug addicts, but you know, alcoholics don't accept blame for the things that they did or the things that they probably did, or they don't remember doing, they don't accept the blame period. Right now by that's by not accepting blame, you're not accepting accountability. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, you know, the, uh, step number three, I was like, this is just a cousin of blame and not accepting accountability by saying I can only get through this because of God in my way is like uh, saying, Oh, relieve me of this burden. I can't control it myself. But mm-hmm. at that point in my life, I'm like, you know what? I'm not drinking. I'm flying the plane. I'm in control. I don't have to surrender it to a higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, every, all the decisions come down to me. You know, this is not yeah. somebody is moving my hand fate. So I couldn't wrap my brain around that. So I didn't continue to go through it, but that was just my personal philosophy that yeah, it's not in God's hands. It's in my hands. Now I'm doing mm. well. I got to just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I made the decision to stop. So, you know, it's just kind of being accountable toward yourself since, you know, you couldn't be accountable to yourself or other people before. So it just feels like they're related like cousins. Nice. Love that. All right, Eric, what do you got? I'm sure you'll I'm sure you're gonna dive more into that. Uh, no, actually I'm I'm gonna I wanna ask more about the T uh the TBI. Oh, okay. Um so you said you got hit by a car. Was that the, and that wasn't the way you got the TBI, was it? Yeah, it was. That was the way. Okay. Yep. Um how what are some of the things that you have to do on a daily basis that, you know, maybe myself or David wouldn't really have to think twice about? Like, what are some of the daily struggles that you have to overcome because of the TBI? Do you use tiles? Do you know what a tile is? I do know what a tile is. I do not use tiles, though. What's a tile? Okay. Um, it's just, you put up, well, they have a lot of applications now, but it started off this little key fob, right? That had a button on it. You could press, you could press and it would locate your phone. Or if you were oh. using your phone, it could locate your keys. Mm-hmm. And then they have stickers and then they have all stuff. I've got like five different tiles, you know, one of my passport, one of my keys, one of my AirPods. Uh, what's the other one? One of my wallet. And I have to use it frequently because... I forget where I set stuff. And I've got a jar or a bowl or some shit, and it's on my end table over here that I'm supposed to put my stuff in when I walk in the door. Mm-hmm. I don't always do that, and then I lose track of it. Even in an 1,100-square-foot you know, condo that's cleanish, you know, I still lose it. It's like if I didn't have those, I would be late for a lot of things because it's like, shit, I lost my keys. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nope, can't find my wallet. So I have to do that a lot because my short-term memory is pretty much shot. Um, you know, for the most part, all the things that I'm deficient with, I've learned to adapt for or come up with some solution. I, I use uh, 
my Alexa for as much as I can. I hook up calendars, do reminders, stuff like that. Uh, I set my alarm clocks on it. I depend on it for everything. But, you know, it's always telling me, you know, you have a podcast in 10 minutes. Tomorrow mm-hmm. you have a doctor's appointment, you know, because I wouldn't always see the message go across my phone. So, you know, I rely on Alexa a lot now to where I could usually just handle that on my own by looking at my calendar and stuff like that. But I have to have that. Um, but stuff like driving because my vision field is narrower, got a blind spot in my right eye, you know, stuff like that to where you know, I didn't have depth perception. When you're, after about – you're not supposed to drive for a while. But after you've been driving like four months, you get accustomed to it even though it hasn't improved at all, and you just deal with it. But, yeah, I could, you know, I can't be as aggressive and going in and out of traffic like I used to because, you know, my depth perception is skewed on the distance between your back bumper and my front bumper. I don't want to clip you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't zig and zag anymore. Hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> so... After stopping going to AA, did you turn to uh, another like recovery support outlet, or like did like were you still talking to people? Were you like how were you getting uh, information or help in the recovery field? You know, the thing is, I I I kept in contact. I still talk to the guy I asked to sponsor me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk every two or three weeks. Um, usually it spurts, like, but he's not particularly good at remembering to check voicemails. Uh, <laughs> you know, irony there. But um, yeah, you know, other than that, I kind of just stopped. And it was like, okay, well, you know, part of... So, man, I just lost it. I hate when that happens. That's the other thing. Well, you know, other than not being able to multitask and organize thoughts in my head, I'll lose spots where I was going with it. Um, it was two things. Ugh. Oh, so it, I had resigned from the job that was having me working like seven days a week, 80 hours out, you know, at a guy who can't handle that, you know, with a brain mm-hmm. injury. So once I quit that and once the ex was out of the picture, you know, with the ex is, it's a Malcolm X quote, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So once I got rid of the two biggest stressors and things that caused me anxiety and depression, once I was kind of liberated from those things, Mm -hmm. it got a lot easier to not want to lean on alcohol to get me through it, you know, it's like my life had got exponentially better just by, you know, getting away from those, you know, I guess you could call them triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got easier from there. All right. Um, all right. Uh, Eric, I'm going to ask a second question. Go right ahead. 
I'm wait, going to. Wait, wait. This is a uh, this is an add-on or this is a two-parter? Uh it's sort of an add-on. All right. Okay. So, um hmm, how am I going to word this? Uh so Eric and I are not particularly spiritual people either, and Eric turned to smart recovery, which is more of like a science-based. So, have you thought about that at all? And like the second part to that is how important do you think it is that people sort of uh, personalize their own recovery and maybe not necessarily follow a standard model that is built for the masses and not for the individual? Well, everything, everybody's different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like teaching a fifth grader, right? You know, Bobby learns differently than Susie. Bobby's more visual. And, you know, Susie's more analytic. And she like, you know, Bobby likes to draw. All right. So you're not, it's not a cookie cutter thing. It doesn't work for everybody. Absolutely. Um, and there's sometimes it's no one thing. You could, mm-hmm. there's no wrong answer. If you want to pick and choose parts of, you know, different things and make it into what you need, like, you know, I agreed with I don't, roughly half of the steps in AA, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like uh, the first two. And then I forget what it was, like six or seven. It's like when you, you know, you make amends with other people. I felt that was important too. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of the accountability thing. Uh, the rest of the stuff, like, you know, it, I didn't hold the same viewpoint as that. So, I, you know, I didn't take that. And yeah. the thing is, like, once I got – Again, once those two big triggers were removed from my life, it got easier. And then, you know, I was like, all right, I'm doing good. I guess just keep doing what I'm doing and, you know, we'll see how this works out. Yeah, totally. All right. Perfect. Great answer. All right. Um, I think I think I, I'm about tapped, David. You're about tapped? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask your question, Eric, which I'm surprised you didn't ask. Uh, So what does recovery mean to you? A lot of things, but it's kind Mm -hmm. of got to gain a sense of sanity back. Mm -hmm. But it's you flying the plane, you having control. Um, rather, I'm going to say necessarily powerless to alcohol or whatever your addiction is, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can't have one without the other. So once you learn that, it's like, Oh, I can survive without this. I can make it through my day. Be okay at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And once you can get past that, you'll be okay. All right. All right. And I want to give you a, a, a minute because I think I'm about out. Of, let me let me see if I have any more questions. Mm-mm-mm. No, I think I'm about tapped as well. So I'm going to give you a, a, a quick minute or two to talk to anybody out there, any of our listeners who are struggling. What do you have to say to them? You know, I'm going to go in an opposite direction that you would expect here. You, don't, you never quit addictions. You know, you never do. 
the way I've always viewed addiction is you trade. Once you find that and once you can quit that, it takes about six months, but you'll find something that's a new addiction. It may be healthier. You know, you may be more obsessive about it, but you just trade addictions. Like I was smoking and dipping and I managed to quit mm -hmm. and I found uh triathlon you know within six months and then i was hooked on that and you become addicted to the training the racing and mm -hmm. you know i quit drinking and i haven't i guess you know like the running the youtube and you know being so open and public about it that just became the new addiction mm -hmm. but you 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 never quit you only trade Mm. No, I, I, I actually, there's a lot of validity, to, validity to that. And I think Eric would agree with me as well. Like, um, especially in like fellowship circles, uh, once you give up the drugs or the alcohol, usually, uh, like cigarette smoking goes up either energy drinks or coffee consumption or, uh, sugary or salty food consumption goes up. So you like, you, you have a very good point. Like a, a lot of those addictions just get traded and sometimes it's uh, healthier and sometimes it's a, it's a lateral move um, from uh, doing cocaine to drinking 50 ounces of Red Bull a day. Like you're probably doing the same amount of damage to your heart and stomach. Uh, yeah. That you, so yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to that. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Eric, for joining us. Thank you. All right, Eric, uh, we, we take a minute and uh, let our uh, listeners know where they can find you on YouTube and Instagram and all that. Yeah, I'm, everything is Espo Swim, Bike, Run. E-S-P-O, Swim, Bike, Run. I mean, I got a website. I do a lot of writing. That's another thing I forgot to say. You know, writing helped me get through a lot of all my, you know, my bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I, I got a, I got very good over the last year and a half and it it helps to look back on it and say this is where I was but a, another interesting thing that I do that was more related to the brain injury than the alcoholism but I guess you could apply it to all forms of recovery whether you know whatever your addiction is mm -hmm. or injury um, I use this website called futureb.org it's free you know you could send a bunch of these emails and then they ask you to donate a couple of bucks but what you could do is you can write a letter to your future self and you know you could one year five years from now arbitrary date whatever you want and when i would write them i would write them it's i'm gonna really have struggle getting this verb tense and everything right so when you would write in the future you would talk as if it's the present, right? And mm -hmm. when you write about it, this is what you would hope because you should always have hope and optimism in recovery. This is what yeah. you would hope to see, you know, seven months, three days from now or whatever, six months, whatever your date is. This mm -hmm. is where you would like to be, you know? And then when you speak of the past, you don't, you know, crush it with negativity. You kind of shine a light on it, but treat it as like, this is where I was, this is where I am today. And if you write what you envision your life to be like, however many, you know, 
months or days down the road. A lot of the time, you could reach exactly what it says. And, you know, the last thing about those letters is because you usually forget that you wrote them or what was in them or where they were getting there, it's a surprise. And it's a nice surprise to see an email from yourself say, tell about, man, is the future everything you said it was going to be? And you look at the past, it's like, wow, look how far I've come in five months. So mm -hmm. that was a unique thing. And I'm pretty sure that could be applied to any recovery. So their website is futureme.org. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. That's really cool. Especially Eric with his five-year plans and all his ridiculous anal retentive things about life. It's important to be prepared, David. All right. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, here at Podcast Recovery, we're aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Eric. You were a great, great guest. We appreciate having you on. And most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.